You're listening to Trust Me, You're Broke. I'm your host, Julia, a millennial consultant in banking, here to give you some tips and tricks on how to make, save, and grow your money. Let's get started. Hi everyone, it's me again, Julia, and today I'm back with another episode and perhaps my favorite episode of all time. So this episode is called Toxic Money Thoughts, and this is a subject that I was wanting to cover for a long time and perhaps one of my main reasons why I even started this podcast in the first place. When I first started my job the first year, I was completely oblivious to how to save money and how to make my money work for me, and also how to take advantage of all of the opportunities out there through work um, to either save or make more money. And I believe this really stems from a lack of conversation between, you know, the people that I know in my community, because money in general is such a taboo subject. And so that's why I started my podcast, because I think there's a lot of insecurity surrounding the topic of money and also a lot of judgment in general. You know, the more money you have, for some reason, you're perceived as a better person. Um, Let's start with that, right? So there's a lot of society standards out there as to what age you should be at certain financial milestone, what age you should be owning a home, at what age you should have enough money for a child. Like, there's just so many standards out there in society that I feel like it really closes off um, the willingness to speak openly about personal finances. And so the reason why I'm saying all of this is because today I want to discuss toxic money thoughts. Everybody goes through some sort of money-related insecurity. And so I took it to Reddit to ask people what their money-related insecurity was and what their toxic money thoughts were. And I just felt like going through these stories, they were so relatable. And so I'm very excited to share them with you today to see maybe you're going through the same things. And I'll just give my feedback and my advice on some of these stories. All right, let's get right into it. So the first response I got was from this person called Blueberry Exotic. And by the way, I have no idea what is with the word blueberry because I'm seeing it a lot on these responses. Um, but maybe it's like a Reddit term that I have no idea. Maybe it's something completely perverted. And I'm just saying it over and over again. Who knows? But if you are an avid Reddit user, let me know what the context is. But there were a lot of blueberry something users uh, responding to my my question. Anyway, I digress. Uh, let's get right back into the response. So Blueberry Exotic said, my quote unquote toxic thought is to think just a little bit more for the unknown future and then I'll be financially independent and be able to spend more freely. Now, first of all, I think this is a great example and I think it's a very relatable one. Um, I see a lot of people who are obsessed with the idea of saving or uh, making more money investments and they feel a general sense of guilt when spending on certain things because they know that they have to save for this so-called unknown future. Now, I go through this a lot too. Like still to this day, I go through it a lot where I think about how much am I saving? What is my progress like? Am I saving enough? You know, I spend on certain things and I just feel like I'm spending too much because I have to save for that house that I want in the future. I want to save for that car I want in the future. And what that quickly becomes is a downward spiral of I'm doing all of these things wrong financially and I'm not doing enough to build myself a good future. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, the future is unknown and so you should really live your life. I mean, if you are that type 
type of person, then great. Um, this story is probably not relevant to you because you're probably not feeling guilty. But for those of us who are feeling some sort of guilt because you feel like you're not doing enough for the future, I think it's way easier said than done to just say, you know, oh, the future is unknown, so live your life freely. Um, if you are a planner, especially, uh, and like to plan for the future, it's a bit difficult to get those thoughts out of your head. And so I think that's exactly what Blueberry Exotic here is going through. Now, before I give my commentary on this story, there was also a very similar one, but in a sort of different format that I'll share with you. And uh, my screenshot doesn't show the ID of a person who uh, left the story, but this person said toxic frugality is their toxic money thought. Um, this person says, I'm maybe not frugal to a fault right across the board, but I'm paralyzed by spending on big ticket items, even though we can more than afford it. I'm too worried about quote unquote, wasting money and not being proportionally happy to the money I spent. I have no problems buying an occasional $5 coffee or meal out, but it took me a year to find the right laptop because I was so worried that I'll spend my $1,000 wrong. So this isn't quite about, you know, being so scared of the future that you're not spending, but it's also another form of extreme frugality, right? Just feeling a sense of guilt when you're spending more than an allotted amount per month, let's say, or you're spending out of budget, you may feel very worried. And this person used the word paralyzed. You know, I'm paralyzed by spending on big ticket items, which means that, you know, the extreme emotion that they feel when they spend $1,000 on a laptop is so great that they have to spend a whole year finding the right equipment. Now, I think that in both of these scenarios, it's very affordable. I've seen people go through this. I've seen myself go through these thoughts as well. So I definitely think they are relatable uh, subjects or examples. However, with that said, they're not the healthiest thoughts, right? Because life is about balance and you know you can't just 100% save for the future and you can't also 100% spend for the now. Um, I mean, it depends on your life values and what you value in life. Some value materialistic uh, milestones more than others. Some value immaterialistic experiences. Um, so it really depends on what you value as successful and uh, growth for your future. But in either case, if you're extremely frugal and you're, you know, feeling really anxious or guilty about spending a certain amount because you feel like you're not meeting a goal that is in the future, you know, that's relatable, but it could be a little bit toxic. Now, there's one strategy that I like to use when I feel this way, and it could be something that if you're going through this as well, you could adopt. And this happened when I was going on a trip um, and, you know, vacation money is not cheap. So I found myself feeling a little guilty about going on this vacation. I was asking myself, really, do I uh, deserve a vacation right now? Do I deserve to be using this amount of money right now? So what I did was actually I went on the vacation. I lived my life but I have also taken that same amount of money and put it in my investment account ad hoc. So it was in addition to whatever monthly payment I was making, I just transferred it over and forgot about it. Now, this is something that I believe a lot of money mentors would advise. And it's when you're making a big purchase that is more importantly, out of your budget, just think to yourself, can I afford this more than twice? Now, 
Um, there's two sides of the story here. I think one, it's a good general guideline. If you are in a stable financial uh, situation, it's just that you're dealing with these irrational guilt or irrational anxiety that you're not doing enough or you're spending too much. I think that's great, right? So for my vacation example, I thought to myself, okay, I'm spending a thousand dollars for this week long vacation. Can I afford that two more times? And the answer was yes, because I had enough money in my bank account to afford it three more times. So that means that, you know, this trip is indeed affordable. I don't have to feel guilty about it. And also because I can afford it two more times, um, I can essentially double my um, expense and basically put the extra or contribute the extra into my investment account. Now in life, it's not always going to be the case where you could buy it two, three more times. And, you know, if you can't buy it two, three more times, then it's completely irrational and uh, it's not affordable at all. At times you're going to be in a situation where you have to spend something that's not quite affordable and that's okay as well. If you have those moments now, let's not make it a monthly deal. Let's not make it a thing where you're, you know, on a monthly basis going over budget to the point that you know, let's say, I mean, you're buying a Chanel bag for $5,000 and you don't even have 10K in your account. Maybe that's not the best decision in the world. And maybe this will help you logically decide which purchases are necessary and which purchases are not. But in this example where, you know, this person was buying a laptop for $1,000, maybe it's the case that you need that laptop in order to study or in order to work. And in that case, you know, even if it's less affordable, it's going to yield a return in the future, right? And whether or not that's a material return in the immediate future, it doesn't matter. Like if you're getting value out of it, that's beyond just numbers and dollars in your bank account, then this is something that is worth spending on, right? If you need it, if it's a critical piece of equipment for your work, clearly your work is generating income and whatever your employment status is, any type of employment will be your mainstream of income. And this is the biggest way you can increase the num- the dollars that are coming into your account each month. And so in that case, you know, even if you can't afford it three more times or two more times, it's worth spending that money. Or if you're a student in school and this is a required piece of equipment, obviously going to school, getting that knowledge and whatever degree you're going to get out of it is far more worth the $1,000 that you forego today, right? So it's not really a hard and fast rule to say if you can't afford it two more times or three more times, then never, never get it. But it is a good general guideline for any purchases that you are making ad hoc or in addition to your uh, original budget. Now, the second advice I have for these two users on Reddit is, and for any of you guys for that matter who are going through similar thoughts, is that it's going to take a while for you to kind of shift the way you think. But the way that I've shifted my thinking, and to this day I struggle with it, But what I do frequently is to level set my expectations. I'm a very ambitious person. And if you are too, then, you know, you have big goals and you have big dreams, but sometimes that results in disappointment or again, guilt for spending when you're not necessarily spending excessively. You're just trying to live. I think society puts too much pressure on when things should be achieved, when you should be able to afford your house, when you should be able to get a degree, when 
when you should be able to buy a car. And because of that, the pressure kind of builds up. And when you feel like you can't meet that kind of unspoken timeline is when you start to feel guilty and you start to feel like you have to enter into extreme frugality or even worse, the opposite, which is just mindless spending and giving up on even trying to make a plan for yourself. There's not one single timeline that's right for everyone. There cannot be. And I know it's easier said than done, but it's true. I think especially if you are living in a metropolitan city where real estate is just crazy expensive, you know, classic examples, Vancouver, Toronto, then naturally it's going to be incredibly hard for you to buy real estate here at a time that other people say is, should be the timing you should get real estate. Like, I don't know, your even your late twenties to your early thirties, you should be able to buy a house. I mean, for the majority of us, that's not possible. Um, and I was just talking to my coworkers about this, but you know, just to give you a little real life example, um, in order to get a mortgage at a bank, you will get roughly four times your income. Okay. So let's say, and, and the average in Toronto, and we're talking downtown Toronto, not greater Toronto area, just as a small example, Toronto, the median income and in this case, household income, so likely you're married or you have a partner, right? So two people, household income is $100,000, okay? That's the median in Toronto. Now, four times that means you're going to get a mortgage of around 400000 and maybe you have hundred k saved up, okay, 50000 each. And so you're looking at a house that is around $500,000, now, the median or the average uh, housing price here, like a standalone house price in Toronto, is well over $1 million. So you can see now just how low the affordability is. It's not possible because the banks are only going to give you $400,000, but you're going to have to enter a bidding war that starts at $1 million. So just to illustrate how unrealistic it is for many, many of us, unless you have a transfer of wealth, unless you come from a place of privilege where, I don't know, your parents or your family can help you out, it is incredibly unaffordable. And so if you don't meet that milestone when you're 30, it doesn't make you a loser or it doesn't make you bad at managing your personal finances. This is about the economy and this is about the situation that you are in as well. So it's really important to kind of extract your own personal ability and capability out of the situation, such as the example that I just discussed. Now, another insecurity or another toxic thought that someone shared was to do with investing and specifically what they call the compound interest hurdle. So if you are unfamiliar with investments or you're not involved in it yet, first of all, please do get involved as soon as possible if you are comfortable and you're in that position to do so. But this so-called compounding interest hurdle comes from this idea of compound interest. And what that is, is basically the idea that the sooner you invest, the more you will reap the benefits from an annual return rate. Because let's say, you know, you 
put in a thousand dollars today and your retirement desired retirement year is when you're 60 years old, right? Then clearly you would have more time for interest to accrue than you would if you were to make that first thousand dollar investment in 20 years let's say, right? You buy yourself 20 years of interest compounding, which means adding on to each other. So let's say um, you have 100 and you made 7% return this year, then you have 107 and that becomes your principal amount for the next year. And then you get 7% now on the 107. So do that for many, many years. And what you'll find is your money will grow exponentially because of compounding interest. So what this person is saying is they have to get over this compounding interest hurdle. And they say, I'm a firm believer that the first seven years are full of this uh, thought of, quote unquote, this is pointless because you don't really see your money working for you. And so basically this is relatable as well. When I first started investing, I was like, damn, my money is not really going anywhere. You know, um, Wealthsimple, for example, they show you a fancy graph of in 40 years, this could be the amount of money you have based on the $1,000 investment you make. Or in 10 years, this is how much you know you could double, whatever it may be. Um, it shows you a graph. So you look at the future gratification and you think, oh my God, I have to get into investing now. And then you keep looking at your account month over month, year over year, and you think, wait a second, all I made was like freaking $70 off of three years worth of investment. And you're wondering, is this really worth it? I mean, is my money really working for me? And the answer is yes. So it, it sometimes is really difficult to see your money growing because, you know, I mean, what is 7% of $1,000? You know, you're looking at, what is it, $70 in a year that you've made. So you're looking at that $70 and you're thinking, I put $1,000 in, I waited a year and all I have is $70. What is going on? And to this, my main advice is the main point of investing needs to be invest and hold. Buy your stocks and hold them for a very long time. This is a long-term game. It's a long-term investment. Unless you are a swing trader or a day trader, which as I mentioned over and over again in my other episodes, this is not a sound thing to do if you are new to investing. It is basically like gambling and 80% of day traders fail very, very, very miserably. They end up losing money. So um, it's not the ideal way to go. Uh, so for most investors, your best bet is to let time work for you and let that interest accrue. And so... That is why we want to look at the long term. You're looking at one year, sure, it's only $70, right? But in a 10-year span, it could be much, much more significant, that $1,000 that you invested today. And so I guess this person's principle and this person's calculation, which is not necessarily the most realistic, but this person's calculation was based on a 10% return rate, Um and they said basically it would, their definition of seeing, um, 
seeing good returns is when the amount of returns starts to equal the amount of money that you've put in. So um, assuming a 10% return rate, uh, they're looking at at least seven years before they start to see really the benefits of compound interest. So this is an interesting thing because I feel like this person has set a date or a time parameter for themselves, which helps you be patient with um, the stock market, right? Because it's really easy to be affected by the highs and the lows and the volatility in the market for you to buy a lot and sell a lot. And in the long term, you're just losing. Whereas this person is saying, okay, let's give it seven years for it to grow before I decide whether or not my, my decision or my investment was a crappy one. And so I think this is a coping mechanism and whether or not the 10% is considered pretty Pretty ambitious for a yearly annual return rate. Um, it doesn't matter. It's really that this person has set a date parameter from themselves. So this is a great thing to do if you are impatient or you're worried that you know your stocks or your portfolio is not giving you the uh, return that you are hoping for. Now I'm going to share one more opinion that someone posted that also one of my friends has um, told me was their toxic money problem as well. But this person says, ignorance is the biggest problem, borderline willful ignorance, blindly spending, not knowing where their money goes to because they don't pay attention, spending that way because that's the way things are expected to be following or chasing a lifestyle that others have and jumping in without any basic understanding, i.e. buying meme stocks or over-contributing their TFSA and getting their TFSA taxed, etc. And so, yeah, this is a very interesting one because what my friend also said was her toxic money thought was just this idea of feeling overwhelmed about all the different things that you can do to manage your finances and as a result of that, not getting started. And so kind of goes hand in hand with blindly spending, but a little bit different. So I'll address both here. Um, the first one is blindly spending and chasing after someone else's life. This is something that I think was is huge in the culture that I was brought up in, which is to appear like you're wealthier um, than you actually are. And I... Uh, I too was in that cultural upbringing, right? So I used to spend excessive amounts buying designers, for example, when really I had a part-time job and I was a university student. Um, I used to make a lot of those mistakes. And I think over time, what I just had to teach myself is like, at the end of the day, what are you left with? You're left with less money in your bank account. And that person who you're trying to emulate, that person can afford it and is living a lap of luxury, great. And at the end of the day, it's not their bank account that's suffering, it's your bank account that's suffering. And at the end of the day, when they wanna make bigger purchases, you are not able to because you spent the money on something that was just not worth it or it was just to give you a little ego boost in that moment. So I would say if you're kind of in the habit of doing something like this, reassess, you know, reassess who am I, where am I, you know, am I someone who can live on a yacht for a whole year or am I someone that just wasn't born with it and that's okay? Like, I think being okay with it took me a while too to realize, you know, I trust me, like my, I come from a place of privilege. I don't think my parents were ever considered rich at all. However, 
Um, I was brought in a life of privilege and opportunities because of my dad's unique job situation. And so, you know, my upbringing was around a lot of a lot of rich kids, you know, and when you're young, you feel like because you're in a group of rich kids that you are also rich. But when you grow up and you start to look at all of the circumstances, that's not true. You know, those kids are able to ask their parents to buy them a sports car and, you know, not bat an eye or um, have their parents buy them real estate. And, you know, I, I don't hate on people like that because some people are just, that's life, guys. Some people are born like that and some people aren't born with those privileges. And I don't think I'm in a position where I could just ask for those things from my parents. So, you know, it, it was really we re- re- <laughs> rewiring my brain to think, okay, I lived a life of privilege in the sense that I got to school with all these privileged people. Um, I got to get world-class education. I got to learn different languages when I was younger. And now I live abroad. And this, these are all non-monetary privileges that I live with. However, it doesn't mean I'm in a position where I could just buy designers blindly, uh, go to fancy restaurants every day, or buy myself a yacht. (laughs) So um, with all that said, I would just encourage you if you are kind of living that lifestyle Ask yourself, where is the void? Why are you doing this? Because there 100% is a void. It's usually to overcompensate for the fact that you feel like you're not good enough or on the same level as the people around you. But really respect yourself first and people will respect you back. You know, you don't always have to do the exact same things that more privileged friends do in order to upkeep that friendship, for example. So I've spoken too much about that subject, but that's just my opinion on that. There's no easy solution to, you know, mending an ego uh, void. Uh, However, if you are going through that, I would encourage you to just Think about what's realistic and be happy with the fact that whatever financial situation you're in, like it's okay to have nothing in your bank account. I had nothing in my bank account once upon a time. It's I've posted this on Instagram as well. I had nothing, zero, no savings because I was really bad with managing my money and that is okay. Um, What matters is that you start now and you start with saving and not... um, going and spending blindly. Uh, Now, the other side of this is what my friend said, which is just feeling overwhelmed. And to those of you who are just feeling overwhelmed about what investments do I make? What's a TFSA? What's an RSP? What's a, you know, savings account, interest bearing savings, high interest? What do I do? How do I make more money? What? You know, you're just very confused. You're in the right place. Uh, I would encourage you to, first of all, listen to all of my previous episodes on all of the things that you should know to get started. But also my number one advice to you would be focus on one thing. So just focus on saving, you know, let's get to, if you don't, if you have $0, let's get to a thousand dollars in your savings account by the end of the year, just start small and start with one thing. If you have that emergency fund already established, now let's set up an investment account, put in $500 and forget it. Just forget it and let um, time do its thing right? So just focus on one thing. You don't have to set up a TFSA, RSP, a Lira, 
a savings account, high interest savings account, you know, a GIC and four different credit cards all at the same time. <laughs> you can just focus on one thing and that would be my biggest uh, advice to you. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the episode. How did you think about all these stories that people shared? Was it relatable to you? Are these thoughts that you go through? All I want to say, um, I just want to end it with this. You know, there's no standard when it comes to personal finance and what is considered quote unquote healthy. It really depends on your personal circumstances and your values, right? Maybe you don't want to buy, you want to rent for your entire life and that is okay. But having a plan, starting with one thing at a time, having control over your finances will give you extra freedom to enjoy life, enjoy today and enjoy the future as well. It's got to be a healthy balance, but I just want to come up here and say like I started from zero and now I'm in a pretty good place and you can too. You just have to start and not be afraid and never compare yourself to other people when it comes to personal finances. There's never a you're doing well versus you're not doing well. I mean, obviously, if you're in crippling debt and uh, you continue to spend blindly, maybe there are some habitual adjustments that we need to make, but that's what I'm here for. And so hopefully uh, you could feel better listening to other people's stories if they did relate to you. And I will see you next week. Hope today's episode was informative and fun. If you'd like to show me some support and also want to get started on Wealth Simple today, I actually have a referral link in my description that you can use at sign up. If you use my link, you can get your first 10,000 managed for free for the next 12 months. That's an extra 0.5% savings, which by the way is higher than a bank's savings account interest rate. But shh, I didn't tell you that. If you like this episode, please give my podcast a like, a five-star review, and a follow. Also, go follow me at Wealth by Julia on Instagram for more tips and tricks. I'll talk to you soon.